All right, praise the Lord. Let's get into this. This is part 13, and will the real lessons in the book of Job please stand up? The book of Job is powerful. I'm just going to uh, review. We talked about at the very beginning how it was Satan that was afflicting Job. We know that. I'm not going to go back over all that. And how Job had three friends. Remember that? Elipez, Bildad, and Zophar, and how they came against Job. And basically, I believe they meant well, uh, but they were kicking Job when he was down. How many of you know we can mean well and we can hurt people if we don't get God's direction? You know, what, it, what does it say? You know, truth without love is brutal. <laughs> or, or truth, how does it say? There's a saying, truth without love is mean. Love without truth is meaningless. You know, and that's a powerful statement when you think about it. And, and the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, we're to speak the truth in love. You know, we're to be concerned about people. I find that witnessing to people, really witnessing is nothing more than an extension of God's love towards people. If we don't think about, oh, I got to witness. That's how I used to think. I used to think I had to witness. No, God's called me to be a witness, and out of being a witness, I do witnessing. But it's really about loving people. I'm going to give this tip again. It's a powerful tip. Powerful tip. Now, I like tracks. I believe in tracks. I think they're good. But I don't always use them. I, I, I use conversation. Sometimes I use them. But I believe in talking to people. And a lot of times, all you have to do is go up to somebody that you're talking to. And you think, hey, like if you're at a counter somewhere, you're buying a coffee or whatever you're doing. And just say, hey, uh, man, my name's Chris. I'm a Christian. Is there anything I can pray for you about? I see the vast majority of people, when you approach it like that, are thankful. You're, you're exhibiting love because you're actually asking them if you can pray for them. And you've got to be a pretty big jerk to tell, buzz off, you know. That usually doesn't happen. Some people, the worst you can get it most of the time, is like, oh man, I'm not into that. Well, why aren't you into that? Because see, you've already kind of disarmed them because you spoke the truth in love. Asking somebody if you can pray for them is an act of love. Isn't that powerful? You know, and people, think about this. We talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and, but sadly, the most of the body of Christ, we relegate it to just in the church. Do you know Jesus did miracles in the marketplace, in public, in Walmart, in places that he interacted with people? Church is supposed to be a Bible college and a fellowship center. And yes, any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Yes, I'm, that's all great. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. But we're to be equipped to go out there. You're a minister. You know what your job is? I got this in the outline, but it's further down. Your job is just your disguise. You're an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. Your job is just your disguise. See, we don't think like that. Well, he's a minister. He's a professional Christian. Other, other, we're just, you know, hobby Christians. No, you're a professional Christian. Amen. But see, you will reach people that I'll never reach. Other people will reach people that you'll never reach. This is how the kingdom of God is to work. If everyone in here really had a revelation that they're an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven, we would change the world. Amen. We would change our worlds. The whole body of Christ needs that. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, let's get into the outline. Who was Elihu? Elihu was the younger man. Some of you that have been following this know this. He came along later. I believe Elihu is a type of Christ. And the characteristics you see in the life of Elihu, listen, the Christian life isn't about living for God. 
It's about allowing God to live through you. Look at Galatians 2.20. Watch this. I am crucified, or I have been, the New King James says, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Next verse. I do not frustrate, lay aside, nullify the grace of God. See, when I don't realize that allowing Christ to live through me, the person and power of the Holy Spirit, is what the Christian life is all about, I can nullify the grace of God in my life. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law or by my own effort, then Christ died for nothing. See, the Christian life isn't about living for God. It's about allowing God to live through you. My good friend, Pastor Joe Fortunato, I talked about him Wednesday night. He's a powerful man of God. He, he pastors in uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and he's a CARES director of a school over there. But he, ta- he was talking, to, we were talking on the phone this week, and he said, I'm not my own. I don't belong to myself. It's not up to me. I go, nobody thinks like that. But that's what the Bible teaches. It says, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, 20, 1 Corinthians 7, 23. I don't belong to me. It's not up to me what I think. It's up to God what he shows me. Man, that's the key to blessing. Paul said it like this. Well, go to Acts 20. Start with verse 22. I am going to get to the outline. I'm using my faith right now. Because <laughs> this is so good. This is Paul talking. And he said, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Look at this. Except, old King James, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions or persecutions abide me. Now look at this next verse. But none of these things move me. He's not his own. None of these things move me. My emotions don't move me. I have them, but they don't move me. That's amazing. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. There's the problem. We count our lives dear unto ourselves. We're going to talk about joy here in a minute. This is all powerful. This is what happens when we allow Christ to live through us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Who wants to walk in joy? Joy is different from happiness, you know that. Happiness is based on happenings. Joy is a disposition that you and I can live in at all times. Look, at that. that I might finish my course with joy. You know why we don't have joy? We count our lives dear unto ourselves. We're more concerned about us than the kingdom of God. And he's telling you, if you want to save your life, lose it for me and you'll save it. You know, the, now, in case you're getting mad at me, I want to give you another scripture. Keep this up there. In 2 Corinthians 1, 24, it says, not that we have dominion over your faith, but we're helpers of your joy. How many know your joy needs help? How many know your joy needs help? How does it get help when it hears the truth and receives the truth? We're helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. I'm helping your joy. Amen? Look at this. That I, might, I don't count my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Wow. Paul said it like this in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
You know why he said that? I have to give Billy Epperhart credit on this. I used to say, well, people fear the unknown. He said, they don't fear the unknown. They fear loss. They fear loss. See, people, that's why Paul said to die is gain. It's gain. It's gain. You know why we count our lives dear unto ourselves and don't experience the joy of the Lord? Because we don't believe it's gain. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain, baby. Hasta la vista. I want to finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. See, people, that's foolishness to man. The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, moronic to him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2.14. I'm trying to help your joy. Let's get to Elihu. <laughs> this young guy, Elihu, I believe is a type of Christ. Remember last week we talked about his name means he is my God. And remember, if you're born again, God is the one true God, but he's your God. Say, he is my God. This is what Jesus did. Look at, quick review, John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, don't hinder me, touch me not, for this is after his resurrection, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You know what that's? That's covenant talk. Now, because of what Jesus has done, those who put their faith in him, God himself is my God. He's also my heavenly father. Wow. Powerful stuff. So Elihu's a type of Christ. Number one, there, I want to deal with this. Is there wrath with God? That's a great question. Go to uh, John 3.36. I want to deal with this one. It's not in your outline. There is wrath, but if you're born again, that wrath is not for you. Do you know what people will go to hell for? Rejecting Jesus. You know why God is long-suffering, not willing that any perish? Because he doesn't want any to perish. He wants people to receive his son. You know who he exercises long-suffering towards? The ambassadors. Us. Amen? That's 2 Peter 3.9. It's to us words, so nobody out there. So we are to go and tell the world what Christ has done. We're ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We need to think that way. Everywhere you go is a mission field. When you pay for your gas at Speedway or wherever you get gas, that's a mission field. Hey, man, my name's Chris. Anything? I'm a Christian. Anything I can pray for you about? Well, I don't, I'm pretty good right now. I don't need anything. Well, man, that's time to pray. What about you? Are you born again? You guess Jesus, well, yeah, I don't really go to church. That's not what I ask you. I said, are you born again? Is Jesus in your heart? Church is important, but church don't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. You need to be born again. Amen? So is there wrath with God? See, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. That's not just when you die. That's right now. It's, it's a quality of life that goes on forever. And he that believeth not on the Son of God shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on him. Now there's a nut job teaching in the body of Christ that says, well, wrath means God's passionate desire. No, wrath means wrath. 
Because outside of Christ, all there can be is judgment. Do you know that? All there can be. And Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, that it's not appointed unto us to wrath. If you are in Christ, go to Psalm 2, 12. If you are in Christ, Jesus, the great vine of the earth, Revelation 14, was cast into the winepress of the wrath of God. He took that punishment that I deserved. And he didn't stop there. He gave me all the blessings that he deserves. That's awesome. That's awesome. How See, it's so imperative that people not only initially get born again, but continually relate to God through Jesus. See, that's the subtlety. That's what legalism is. Legalism teaches born-again Christians to relate to God through their works for their right standing with God instead of His work. That's what it does. Now look at this. This is amazing. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. This is us right here. Next. Blessed are all they that intentionally put their trust in Him. Oh, glory be to God. This is the power of what Jesus has done. But anyhow, let me show you another one on wrath. Go to Isaiah 54, verse 7. Messianic prophecy. For a small moment have I forsaken thee. This is speaking of Jesus on the cross. But with great mercies will I gather thee. Next verse. In a little wrath, I hid my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. Next verse. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the entire earth, so will I have sworn that I would not be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee. You know that's you if you're in Christ? Do you know that's you if you're in Christ? Oh, my word. God's not, God's not mad at you. Oh, it seems like I've seen that saying on our sign out there. Isn't that powerful? We don't realize that a lot. Go to the next verse. You know, you can control people with fear. You know that. A lot of people control people with fear. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace. Shalom. You know what shalom means? The peace that comes from being whole. Saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. The peace that comes from being whole. You know, Jesus said this, I believe it's in John 14, 27. He said, peace I leave you, not like the world gives give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, I'm giving you a peace that's not like the world's peace. What is the world's peace? The world's peace is when things are going okay, I have peace. But usually I'm living in fear, when's the other shoe going to drop? But this is a peace that comes from being completely whole. This is supernatural. It passes understanding. All right. So now jump over to number two. Elihu, Job 32, verse 4, a type of Christ. Watch this. Let's read it. Now Elihu had waited till Job, uh, till Job had spoken because they were elder than him. Eli, when, he, when Elias saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. Now, we talked about this last week, but go to your outline. Elihu waited. Everybody say, Elihu waited. He exercised patience. God is patient and God is long-suffering. Many times people are not. And this is why Christians don't wait well. 
Did you know that? Christians don't wait. Well, I'm going to show you some things here that I think are amazing. Go to your phone. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm going, to, I'm going to wait here. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living, the quick, and the dead at his, king, at his appearing in his kingdom. Watch this. Preach the word. Amplified Classic says, don't lose your sense of urgency. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Three things, two of them are negative. Three things, two, two of them are negative. Isn't that interesting? See, most of what we hear today is just, you're so great. You're so lovely. Nothing, you're just amazing. No, you might be a jerk. You may be amazing in your spirit, but you might need to change some things. I know, that's not grace. That, that's not, that is grace. Grace is the power to change. It sounds like a powerful Jim Richards book. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come, next verse, when they will not endure or put up with sound, healthy doctrine or teaching, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Long-suffering, God has granted or graced us with his patience in dealing both with people and inheriting the promises. Go to Hebrews 6.12. Hebrews 6.12. See, we see this characteristic in Elihu, and if Elihu's a type of Christ, as I believe, then and I'm born again and Christ is in me, the hope of glory, then these characteristics are in me. Make sense? Now watch this. That you, should be, that you be not slothful, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith inherit the promises of God. Faith and patience, thank you. Without patience, faith will quit. Without patience, faith will quit. I'm going to say that again. And you can't maintain patience without the Holy Spirit empowering your patience. You know what God's kind of patience is? It's hope. You know what hope is? It's an expectant waiting upon the Lord. It's expecting something. See, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. Sometimes I think, Lord, I don't know if there's enough years in my life, to, even if I live to however old, to accomplish what I believe you want to accomplish, but God can do more in a moment than I can do in a lifetime in my own strength. And it's not up to me to figure anything out. It's up to me to keep looking at him. I heard a preacher say this years ago, and I never forgot it. He said, it's faith that pleases God. And when you're in faith, God is pleased. Don't try to figure it out. Just keep rejoicing. Let the Holy Spirit empower you. This is why you need to be built up on your most holy faith. Not for your holy faith, but on it. I can't stay built up in this rundown world without the Holy Spirit, and neither can you. Oh, Chris, that's a Pentecostal charismatic doctrine. It's a Bible doctrine. How do you think Paul did it? He was beat, shipwrecked, left for dead. <laughs> Who's had a day like that recently? <laughs> Nobody. But he, was, see, he talked about joy. Even when he was in prison in Philippians, he was rejoicing. Paul and Silas were in jail. At the darkest time of the night, they started praising God. You know the story. God gets to tap in his foot, creates an earthquake, and all their chains fell off. It affected everyone around them. See, the joy of the Lord is supernatural. 
It's supernatural. And if you stay in the current of God's presence, if you stay built up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, you will stay in the river and fire of God. You know, a lot of times we feel, a lot of times people don't realize the draw to God. They think, well, I'm just hungry, so we overeat. Well, I'm just, you know, this, so I gossip, which is mouthless. Well, I'm just this, and people get into pornography. That's what Joseph Prince calls pornography. Pornography, I think it's funny. So somebody laugh. No, I'm just kidding. But my point is people get into things because they don't realize that it's a draw. It, the hunger's for God. God's trying to draw you into river, to the river of his fellowship with him. The excitement and joy we're looking for is in the Lord. You know what I've been starting to really pray for our church and people? I'm praying that Christ would be formed in you. I'm learning to travail in, in prayer till Christ be formed in you. Because that's what will change everything. Amen. So without patience, faith will quit. Go to your outline. The Holy Spirit is the one. Go to Romans 15, 13. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives. Well, before as you're going there, I want to read to the outline. Hope is expectant waiting. Without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, your hope will be relegated to the weakness of the flesh. I'll say that again. Without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, your, your, uh, your hope will be relegated to the weakness of the flesh. Why is hope so important? Because faith gives substance to what you're hoping for, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And if my hope is down, faith doesn't have anything to work with. If my hope's way down here, faith has very little to give substance to. But if I allow the Holy Spirit to get my hopes up, let me show you that. Now, the God of hope, isn't it interesting he calls him the God of hope? Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in faith, no hope, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when your hopes are up, faith can come in and give assurance or substance to what you're hoping for. Now go to Romans 8, 24. You probably didn't know this was in the Bible, but it is. Romans 8, 24. For we are saved by faith. Through grace. We're saved by hope. What? We're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Next verse. But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Isn't that amazing? See, I say this all the time, but the enemy's attack is aimed at your hope. You know what discouragement is? It's an attack on your hope. That's why we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the big parts of my call, the call of God on my life, is to encourage his people to use the prayer language of the Holy Ghost. And if they don't, I know it's not politically correct. We've had people walk out of here when I talk about it, but it's the truth. The devil wants your Christianity to be just an intellectual thing. I believe in a spirit-filled intellect, but I do not believe in letting your mind lead the pack. We need the Holy Ghost, and only He can keep your hopes up. He's the only one, and you're saved by hope. Wow, good word. All right, go to your outline. Go to Hebrews 10, 36. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36. For ye have need of patience. Patience. Watch this, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Now I want you to go to Psalm, I want to give you a couple of these, Psalm 33, and jump to 
oh, let me think here. Psalm 33 and jump to verse, start with verse 18. And I want to I get this to you. This is so good. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, reverence him. Upon them which hope in his hasid, mercy, covenant loyalty, relating to God through Jesus. Next verse. To deliver their soul from death. To keep them alive under the inflation of the... I almost said it. To keep them alive in famine. Next verse. Watch this. Here's what I'm after. Our soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, my soul waiteth for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. He's my defense. Now watch this word for waiteth in the Hebrew. It means to properly await, along for, to wait confidently. It's an active waiting that triumphantly looks forward to fulfillment. It means to tarry long. It's an extended, strenuous waiting that remains confident despite setbacks and apparent delays. It's a hope that remains confident despite setbacks and apparent delays. Whew. Hang on, we're going to show you now. Figuratively, it's goal-oriented waiting, clinging to the Lord during difficult times and expecting His best. You know what that is? Hope. God's kind of hope. Now go to the next verse. For our heart shall rejoice in Him. Our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. Next verse. Let thy Hasid, covenant loyalty, O Lord, be upon us in proportion to, this is exactly what the Hebrew says, to our putting our hope in Him. You see that? According as we hope in Thee. So God's loyalty to His Son Jesus is in proportion to my putting my hope in Him and not in something else, including my own effort. Now go to Isaiah 40, 31. I know I'm giving you some Hebrew words, but it's good for you. This is really good. Popular verse, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, this is a different Hebrew word and, and for wait. And it's a, it, here's what it means. It means to twist. It means to wound up. It means waiting. It means remaining tied to its expectation. You know what discouragement does? It causes you to loose your grip or your hold upon your expectation. You're saved by hope. You're saved by hope. God's kind of hope. This is amazing. It says, this hope remains tied to the expectation. It's a waiting that stays. It's, it's personally involved, usually with positive tension. <laughs> I love this terminology. That strains the mind in a certain direction in an expectant attitude. It's expectation. It's a confident expectation of good. It's hope. Yes. This is God's kind of waiting. See, Christians don't wait well because they don't allow the Holy Spirit to generate their hope. If I just look at the circumstances, I'm going to be bummed out. 
So are you. And that's what we do many times. But if we take the tools God has given to us and have fellowship and relationship with him and get in his current, his current will carry us into victory in every area of our life. And it may take a while for the manifestation, but regardless of when it manifested, I am still victorious. You're still prosperous regardless of what you have in the bank or don't have in the bank. You are blessed. You are highly favored. And when you see it with your heart, eventually you'll see it in your life. Glory to God, glory to God. I'm getting excited again. This is so good. Uh, it's a positive tension that strains the mind in a certain direction in an expectant attitude. Oh, this I could read more here. This is so good. It's expectation. It's hope that intensely awaits. This is so good. Or it's tied to the envisioned life application. You know what that means? It's a hope that's seeing it on the inside. It's seeing victory on the inside. That's what it is. And that's what God wants to give you and I. And this is what Elihu demonstrated when he waited before he answered. Amen. Jump down to point number three. And let's look at Job 32, 6 through 10. He did speak up, and we're going to see that here in a minute. But how many know there's a time to speak and a time to be quiet? Oh, that we would discern the difference. <laughs> Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. There's a time to speak, but there's a time not to speak. Well, Elihu had, this is why, one of the reasons I think he was a type of Christ. He knew when to speak. Go to 32, verse 6 through 10. And Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzite, <laughs> answered and said, I am young and ye are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid and durst not show you mine opinion. Next verse, I said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Next verse, but there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. When God speaks, when God prompts you to speak, that's when you speak. When he doesn't prompt you to speak, that's when you don't speak. Go to 1 Peter 4.11, watch this. If any man speak, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now back to Job uh, uh, 32 and look at verse 8 again. This is the importance of divine discernment when you speak. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. So it's the inspiration of the Almighty that gives me understanding. This is why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so important in your life and mine. Next verse. Great men are not always wise. <laughs> oh, I could camp here. Well, the doctors said. How many do doctors may be amazing, but they're not always right? But we put more faith... Um, be nice. I'm just trying to encourage you. I am not, I am pro-doctor. Thank God for doctors, right? But they're not always right. That's why you get second opinions and third opinions. That's why you do that. When you go to the doctor, use your faith for the leading, Lord, lead me to the right doctor, to the right advice. Oh, yeah. You know, sometimes we think that if, if some professional says something, well, that's got to be the way it is because so-and-so said it. 
I'll never forget, I forget what politician it was. They said when they first got in Congress, they were amazed at how unimpressive <laughs> these senators and congressmen were. They couldn't believe it. Because you think like, oh, that's Senator so-and-so or Congressman so-and-so. They go, they were just blown away by how unimpressive they were. They're people. Put your faith in God. Put your confidence in God. And see, people hear that and say, oh, he's against I'm not against that. Thank God for doctors. We use doctors. I thank God for them. But I believe we need to keep our faith in God. Just like diets. Use, don't put faith in your diet. Put faith in God's leading for your diet. And learn from people, but say, God, what are you showing me? So often we want a formula, and God's trying to give us a leading. All right, so, great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Next verse. Therefore I said, hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion. Go back to your outline. We need to speak with the promptings of God. Jump over to James chapter 4, verse 17. I'm going to show you something here. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, I want to tell you something here. For years, I thought that, well, I know to do this good thing, and I don't do it, so that's sin. And there's truth to that. I'm not minimizing that. But this is a specific good that God is talking about. Everybody say, specific good. good. Let's read it in context. Back up to verse 13. Watch this. This is the good he's talking about. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we're going to continue in such a city. We're going to go to such a city and continue there a year. We're going to buy and sell and get gain. In other words, you're making plans. Whereas you don't even know what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, that you ought to say, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this and that. Next verse. But now you rejoice in your plans, your boastings, what you're going to do. All such rejoicing is evil. Making your plans without God misses the mark. Now read verse 17. Therefore, when you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. It's connecting what he's been talking about. The good he's talking about in verse 17. Therefore, to him that knows to do good, to acknowledge God in all of his ways and allows him to direct his past, he doesn't make plans outside of God. He knows to do good and he doesn't acknowledge God in all his ways. To him it is sin or it misses the mark. That's what he's saying. Everybody say context. When you take a text out of its context, all you're left with is a con right? The good he's talking about, therefore to me that knows to do good, to knows that I need to acknowledge God in all of my ways. I know I need God's guidance. I know I don't need to make plans without the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I know these things, but I choose not to do it. I make my own plans outside of God. To him it is sin. It misses the mark. Good preaching. Thank you. That's powerful stuff. All right. So this is why we need to be obedient with the promptings of God. This leads us into divine discernment or judgment. We need God's discernment or judgment. Amen? Go to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. We are not getting very far, but we are getting somewhere. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. When we we listen to the promptings of God, we will walk in divine discernment. Thank you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 15, that whole context there, it talks about 
He that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. I thought, I remember meditating on that and thinking, that's not right. People judge people all the time. He goes, listen, read it in context. He that's spiritual will accurately discern or judge all things. Yet he cannot be accurately discerned by anybody else outside of the Spirit. That's what he's saying. You know, Scripture really is amazing. But on the surface, that ain't true. That ain't true. You know, God, I say this a lot because it's in Matthew 13. God hides things from people that aren't interested, including Christians. If I'm not interested, he'll hide it from me. If I already think I know everything, I ain't going to learn. I did a post the other day. I said, the worst thing you can do is think you know something that you've exhausted a subject. You have not exhausted it. I'm learning to go to verses I've been to many times over and over and over because I'm seeing new stuff from them all the time. So when we obey the promptings of God, like Elihu, who had an accurate judgment on Job and his three friends, we can have accurate discernment. Now let's look at this. So many people pull this verse out of context, right? Judge not that you be not judged. And they couple that with drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities from 1 Timothy, right? Say, see, you can't judge me. That's not what it's saying. He that is spiritual judges all things. I just said that. Jesus said in John 7, 24, judge not according to appearance, but judge a righteous judgment. How do you do that? With the word of God and the spirit of God. Amen. God will show you. He'll give you discernment. You ever had discernment? You ever been around somebody and something just ain't right? You ever been around somebody and something is right? I'm learning to listen more for the heart in people than actually what they say. People say a lot of things, but what are they really saying? Lord, help me to understand. Now, I'm not trying to be, I'm just trying to be discerning like the Word of God says. But so people pull this verse out of context all the time. Judge not that you be not judged. That's not what he's saying. Let's read it in context. Watch this. Next verse. For with the, what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. Wait a minute. You just told me not to judge. And now you say with what judgment I judge, I will be judged. He's not telling you not to judge. He's telling you how to judge. Don't be a hypocrite in your judgment. In other words, use the measuring stick of mercy. James chapter 2, verse 13, he'll have judgment without mercy that has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. The measuring stick should always be mercy when you're discerning. Amen? For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and the measure you use or you measure out you met, it shall be measured to you again. Next verse. And why behold thou, and giving you an example here, why behold the mote or the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't consider that you've got a beam in your own eye? See, he's talking about being a hypocrite. He'll say that in a minute. A hypocrite has got a beam in his own eye, but he goes around, he or she goes around judging everybody else for the, they think they're just got it, the shiz whiz or whatever. Any shiz whiz in any of us is all because of Jesus. And, any, and if you understand that any goodness that's working through you is him, you'll be humble. If you're not humble when you're discerning what's going on in people's lives, you have no business doing that. That's what he's talking about. So why do you behold the mote or the speck that's in your brother's eye, but consider not the beam that is in your own eye? Look at verse 4. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote or the speck out of your eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye. Next verse. 
Thou hypocrite. <laughs> Jesus was not politically correct. First get the beam out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to help your brother or sister cast the speck out of their eye. Does God want us to help other people that are dealing with stuff? Absolutely. But I cannot do that effectively if I've got a log in my own eye. I'm going to give you an example here. We're getting ready to land. Next verse. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Now look at your outline. Hypocrisy in discernment is the essence of casting your pearls of truth from God's word unto the swine. Casting your pearls before the swine. Look at this. What does this look like? Years ago, back in the late 80s, there was a couple ministers, if anybody can remember back that far, some of you weren't even born, there was a couple ministers that went through some stuff. And one person was dealing with some stuff and it, they, nobody knew about it. But this person was extremely judgmental and he went on and accused another minister, called him a cancer in the body of Christ that needed to be cut out of the body of Christ. And you know what he did? He took that precious pearl of not committing adultery of that truth, and he cast it before the swine by being a hypocrite with things he was dealing with, with prostitutes and other things that he was dealing with. He took that precious truth, that pearl, and he cast it before swine. And guess what happened? It gave them opportunity. The entire media turned on him and, and was able to rend him. I've learned this. If you're not merciful in your judgment, be careful. I've been unmerciful in judgment and I've reaped some terrible things. It wasn't God doing it to me. It was because I took a pearl and I casted it before swine and it allowed the enemy to turn again and rend me by putting it on public display. Man, is it quiet in this charismatic church. That's what it's talking about. Amen? I'm telling you guys, any part of scripture that we don't understand, we, we leave room for seeds of, of, of deception. Okay, right. Let, we're just about done here. We, we are out of time. So hypocrisy in discernment or judgment is the essence of casting your pearls of truth from God's word unto the swine. Amen? Look at Philippians 1.9 from the New King James. First, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 from the New King James. Paul said this, And this I pray that your love, everybody say love, may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. God wants our love to abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Now let me say one more thing to you before we land. Uh, sometimes we're most vulnerable to being misled after we've been led. What do I mean by that? It's a temptation many times to... Uh, because I've been led and I hit the nail on the head and I really heard God and it went the right way, it's a temptation for me to, well, now I can just do it the way I did it there and it'll be right. Correct? You remember Peter in Matthew chapter 16? Remember that story? Peter, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Said to his disciples. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. Wow. They said, Peter, upon this rock, I'll build. I mean, it's, Peter's like, man, I'm on a roll. I hit the nail on the head. And then Jesus starts talking about his crucifixion right after that. Remember that? And Peter said, not so, Lord. This ain't going to be to you. Peter probably thought, man, I hit it there. Surely I'm right here. 
See, we're most vulnerable to being misled many times because we, let, we, re, we lax our dependence upon hearing God and we resort to the way we did at the time that worked when God led us. But how many know God's leading can be different? How many know God's leading can be different? We, there's no place we get in this Christian walk where we don't depend upon God. So he said, man, this ain't going to be, Lord. Never. Not no way. Not going to be to you. And I like Jesus I don't like it. Jesus turned to Peter and said, in front of them all, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Called him Satan. Well, I'll tell you what, if that ain't an offense, someone would leave church for. <laughs> but here's my point. We're most vulnerable to being misled many times when we've hit it. And we need to watch that. We need to abound in the promptings of the Spirit, abound in our relationship with God and allow God to lead us at every turn. Amen. And somebody say, he will. You know God's leading you right now? You know he's speaking to you right now? This is one of the things I want to do at church, and I'm sorry I embarrassed you, Tim, but I, I mean, be ready. Uh, <laughs> I was picking on you. Because people have words, you have words, and you have things that God wants to share. One of the emphasis I really want to put in this church is, you can hear God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. John 10, 4, John 10, 27. If you're born again, you hear God. Amen? But let me show, give you another example, and I am landing. I want to give you, this will help you. This is why the Word of God is so important. You know, you know, people say, oh, no, no, just pray. Just pray in the Spirit. No, it's not just pray. It's the Word. Faith comes by hearing the Word, not by praying. You build yourself up on your most holy faith, not for it. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, watch this. If you only, the Word of God is the seed, right? Luke 8, 11. It's the seed. And if, and if a farmer plants three acres of seed, when the rain of the Holy Spirit only has three acres to work with. Right? So he can't, there can't be more revelation. He can't expand that if you've only sowed three acres. He can't give you six acres of hard harvest if you've only sowed three acres of word, of word. Can you hear that? But the more words you sow, and then you fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if you sow 20 acres of seed of the Word of God, you can get a 20-acre harvest of understanding, revelation, direction, transformation in your life. That's why the Word of God's so important. Some people think, well, I'm just going to pray and God's going to give me faith. It doesn't work that way. Faith comes from hearing the Word of God, the rhema of God, the revealed Word of God. This is why the Word of God is paramount. You must put the Word of God in you. Make sense? Man, that's so powerful, guys. So powerful. God has so much for us all the time. Say all the time. Hallelujah. If I could have the prayer team come up here. Glory to God. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Give the word a hand. <laughs> huh? You sure can. Yeah, I want to share one more thing. So I have a I have a Doberman. Uh, he's like the size of a moose, not not quite, but uh, he's stronger than me. And uh, what he does, they they call them Velcro dogs because they just like to stick to you uh, everywhere you go. And so he basically just makes a wall, and he's hard to get around. But uh, so and, and he craves affection. He craves affection. I can't even read my Bible next to him because my arm will just. Whoo, like, because he, he'll, he'll make me pet him if, if I'm not petting him. And, uh, but I can only pet him so long before my arms get tired. 
And then, uh, you know, sometimes he goes about uh, fetching, he'll, he'll play with a toy or, you know, he'll, it's his duty to chase away the squirrels and the birds out of the yard. Uh, but when he's not doing uh, any of that, he just leans on me all the time. And I, and I felt the Lord tell me, uh, be like him. So when you're craving affection and compassion, uh, go to him because his arms don't get tired. Mm-hmm. His arms don't get tired. Also, when you don't know what to do, lean on him. That's the best place to be. Amen. That's a word. Hallelujah. That's a word. You know, I know sometimes with some of these messages, people say, well, that's theology. And it is theology. But we need theology. We need to understand. God didn't sit there and say, well, I'm going to put this in the Bible because I don't have any, any other room anything else that we just got to put something in here. No, everything is in there for your benefit and my benefit. Amen. So praise God. Good word, Kaylin. Anybody needs prayer for anything? If you're not born again, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't want to assume people are are, are born again. And if you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost with a heavenly prayer language, I want to encourage you to receive that. It's a powerful thing. We are praying for you guys. I'm praying Christ be formed in you. I'm praying blessing on your life. Ah, should I say it? I will say it. In this message that I, I'm working on, I don't know if I ever do it, it's called the power of submission. And the Bible says we're to submit one to another. Do you know by doing that, in, in the proper context, you know, children, parents, husbands, wife, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, things in a godly way. But do you know, this is what I've learned about church. Can I show it? Well, I'll just tell it to you. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls. Now, how do they do that? In prayer. In prayer. As they that must give an account that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that's unprofitable to you. Paul said this in Ephesians 6, 18, praying uh, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance for all saints. How can I pray for all saints? I can't even name them all. In prayer. When you're praying in the Spirit. It's the same Greek word watching in those two verses I just mentioned. And so the the power of prayer, and I've said this earlier, everything we see in the natural is a reflection of what's going on in the spirit. You know that. What you're seeing, that's why he says you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. People aren't your problem. They're the reflection of it. Okay, some of you will get that later. And so we need to battle the lies of the enemy. Jesus already won the victory. But fervent, faith-filled prayer is simply gathering the spoils of a battle Jesus has already won. Amen. But we need to gather. We need to gather. They spent days, three days, gathering up the, the, the spoils of war. The, Jesus already won the war. The war is over. But we have to gather the spoils. That's what fervent, faith-filled prayer does. He gathers the spoils. See, you're not beating the devil. Jesus already beat him. But he is a good liar. And if we roll over, just like, like weeds, Eric and Linda got the weeds out of the, the LED sign thing to say, and I was blown away when I saw him walk up in this big, giant pile of weeds. And I thought to myself, man, that is just like this fallen world. If you don't tend your garden or your flower bed or whatever, guess what comes up? Weeds. If you don't tend your mind with the Word of God and the things of God, the weeds of this world will choke the Word of God in your life. Amen. Good word.
That's a word. So if you need prayer for anything, come up. I want to wish you a blessed Memorial Day weekend. And Lord, we are so grateful for those who have given their lives for the freedoms that we often take for granted. Lord, I pray for veterans, Lord. I pray, Father God, that the respect our military needs, Lord, would be returned to this country in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You're blessed.